Hello and welcome to Balagan, the podcast that will put things in order for a better understanding of Israeli politics. I am Kobe Cohen, a former political advisor and currently a political columnist and Israel educator. In many of my conversations with my American friends and family, I have noticed that Israeli politics is challenging to understand and quite blurry at times. So I'm here to explain how it works, who are the different players, and why the different players are acting the way they act. So if you're interested in getting what's happening in Israel, that's your place. My podcast will be thorough and brief, with many guests, giving you the best information about Israeli politics and society. It will deal with the structure of the political system in Israel, the different groups of interest, the player's history, along with analysis of what is happening today. I promise to be as objective as possible and guarantee it will always be interesting. So stay tuned. Hello and welcome back to Balagan. And I'm here again with uh, my dear friend Jeff Becker. How are you doing, Jeff? I'm doing good, Kobe. How about you? I'm good. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, uh, the coronavirus situation in Israel is really not doing too well. You look at the news and, you know, Israel leads coronavirus infections per capita. You've protests in the streets in Jerusalem every day on Balfour outside the prime minister's residence. So clearly there's a lot of issues going on right now. So yeah. I'm here to talk about what those issues are and how they're going to have long-term effects and how the Israeli political system right now is just really failing the people in dealing with this coronavirus situation. Yeah, that's going to be a good start. And then we can uh, finish by talking, uh, you know, about Yair Lapid and the new challenger. It's not that new, by the way. It was a matter of time before uh, Ofer Shelach will stand up. But we will discuss it later. But uh, yeah, let's really start with the COVID. We can say that Netanyahu used uh, President Trump's terms and he made Israel first. The lack of policy or the improvised policies of what's going on with the COVID-19 in Israel made the public to disobey the policies. There is a big lack of trust of what's going on, the way the decision makers are acting. You have, on the one hand, Professor Ronnie Gamzo, who was the Ministry of Health a couple of years ago. He was nominated to become the czar of the coronavirus. And he came up with solutions. And one of them was to put, uh, he called it the stoplight policy, which means that if the city or the place is considered to be red, then it's a place that needs to be isolated and need to be put in lockdown. If you're uh, yellow, then you'll have certain amount of restrictions. And if you're green, then it means that everything is clear and the city is not that contagious. So far, we are talking about complete disaster in the policy execution because based on uh, what Ronnie Gamzo came up with, 40 cities were supposed to be in a lockdown. We got to be honest saying that, that the huge majority like is Arab cities and the Haredim cities. And it makes sense because they are very condensed. Those are the most condensed places in Israel. But it's also a big challenge because they are so condensed. You're putting people in tiny apartments. What do you expect them to do? But that's not why the government decided not to listen to Professor Gamzo. 
The Orthodox, or if to be exact, the ultra-Orthodox, are Netanyahu's most faithful allies in Israeli politics. They don't care about whatever he does as long as they get their flesh. They get the funding. Yes. They get the funding for their yeshivas and for the institutions. Yes. And there are two things that made them get upset with Netanyahu in the last couple of weeks. One of them is, of course, the quarantine. But can you guess what was the other one? Yeah, so it's been making rounds in the news lately, but the Breslov movement of Israel, you know, every year they, for Rosh Hashanah, they go on a pilgrimage to Uman in Ukraine, um, you know, for where Rabbi Nachman was buried. And this year, just the logistics behind all the traveling and lack of willingness for the Israeli government to let them travel has just created a massive uproar. I mean, you actually have members of the Breslov movement protesting in the streets on Balfour yes. with other protesters. So it's getting really interesting now with these anti-Netanyahu protests. You have ultra-Orthodox who are present, and that really needs to get Netanyahu's eyes wide open because at the end of the day, the ultra-Orthodox, whether you know it is the Breslov movement specifically or just the general ultra-Orthodox population in itself, They are Netanyahu's base. I mean, they provide support to his coalitions year in and year out. So I wouldn't say that they are his base, but they are his backbone. The foundation for his base in a way. Yes. Without them, he doesn't have a government. You can think about it that if the ultra-Orthodox, you know, if uh, Aguda and uh, Shas would have gone with uh, Benny Gantz, for example, then uh, Benny Gantz could have been uh, the prime minister as well. So yes, the Braslav did go on the streets. And it's a crazy thing because instead of being honest and telling them, listen, there is a virus, you know, we're talking about facts here. There is a virus. Traveling is quite banned all over the world. And you're going to a state that puts you in danger and you're putting others in danger. And when you're coming back, you're going to put us in danger. Netanyahu wasn't willing to tell it to the ultra-Orthodox. So what he did He used the classic uh, Netanyahu's uh, shticks. He called his colleague the president of the Ukraine, asked him not to let the Braslev in, but he said, we're going to open the traveling to the Ukraine and uh, we'll see what happened. And then the president of the Ukraine actually said that he was asked by Netanyahu, you know, to ban the entrance of this Hasidim. And that caused a big problem for Netanyahu with his allies. And now, you know, it's a big question because the Haredim actually don't care about what's happening with others. It's amazing. It's like they only care about what's going on in their society. And they are actually leading with the numbers of Corona, but they are not trying to be a part of the solution. And Netanyahu is unwilling to engage them, you know, and to face them, actually. And telling them, listen, guys, we all need to show, you know, it's a shared responsibility to what's going on here. It's not a one-way street. If you want the government and the state to help you, we need you to help us. And that's not happening. But you could argue that it's difficult to get the message across in the first place because the Haredi communities are such insular communities. I mean, it's not like you can send email notifications to everyone in the community saying, all right, this is the advisory, this is the COVID advisory that's going on, you know, shelter in place. I mean, that's just not possible. So... Even if Netanyahu wanted to really get the message across, there would still be difficulties in doing so. 
you would be surprised of how organized the ultra-Orthodox society is. They have WhatsApp, they have their uh, networks, and you only need one person in the shul or in the kollel, okay, that you need to reach out to, and then everybody else knows. Listen, I was born and raised in Jerusalem, and I'm talking to you about days that you didn't have the internet and stuff, and they would be able to bring 5,000 people to one spot in Jerusalem in like less than an hour. The secular people in Israel would never get a chance no. to do something like that. So they actually have a way, way better, even if you won't call it the most advanced, the most technological, whatever, they have a way better communication system within their communities. I would say that for them actually to deliver a message, it's a lot easier. Yep. So at the end of the day, the reality is that Netanyahu, instead of listening to professional advice from Roni Gamzu, he's really capitulating to his partners in the coalition, specifically the Haredi parties, which is UTJ and Shas. So what does the rest of the Israeli public think of this? How is this affecting his standing with the general population? So you can see that in overall, there is a big disappointment from Netanyahu's uh, performance. But on the other hand, once again, the other side is failing to set up an opposition or to set up an alternative. What you can see in the polls now, the Likud is dropping to around 30 mandates, which are still 25% of the Knesset. That's a big chunk of uh, mandates. They still stay the largest uh, party. The surprising thing is that the uprising star of the current situation, who would you expect it to be? Would have expected it to be uh, Yair Lapid being head of the opposition. You are right, but it's not him. It's Naftali Bennett, you know, Netanyahu's former ally slash nemesis. And it's for a very simple reason. Naftali Bennett is running in the streets using social media really well and offering solutions that we can debate if they are good, they are working, they are not working. He doesn't attack Netanyahu. He actually defended him yesterday with another fake news that uh, Amit Segal, one of the Israeli top reporters, brought up about uh, one of Netanyahu's cases. He automatically supported Netanyahu against the police and the Vichai Mendel. Well, it's important to consider also that Naftali Bennett's further to the right than Netanyahu is. So when it comes to going against some of Israel's institutions, like the courts, yes. the justice system. I mean, Bennett isn't all that different from Netanyahu in that, in that regard. I mean, he, it may even be a little bit worse. He's trying to present himself now as more centric. You could hardly hear him speaking about the annexation, for example, that Netanyahu didn't execute eventually. But on the other hand, you don't hear him attack Netanyahu up front. But the way he acts around COVID-19 is making people believe that he has solutions. Now, I won't go into details what are his solutions, but the fact that he's the only one trying to set an alternative to the government's policy makes people see him as a reliable guy. Yair Lapid is basically focusing on attacking Netanyahu and Benny Gantz in person. He doesn't bring any ideas. He doesn't bring any alternatives. I'll tell you more than that. One of the demonstrators in Balfour that I was talking to, he is a former Shin Bet guy, really impressive, what you would call the salt of the earth. Mm -hmm. And he's one of the leaders of what's going on in Balfour. 
And he told me, you know what? The things that I do, Yair Lapid should have done. If he would have been there in the streets, leading those protests, okay, and speaking out clearly against the corruption and against what's happening, that's showing up leadership. It's not speaking leadership. And there is a big difference between saying and doing. And uh, Yair Lapid, he talks the talk, but he doesn't walk the walk. So he's not rising in the polls. He actually dropped three mandates in the polls of last weekend. But that also has another uh, point to yeah, it. I would say going off that, there are members in Yair Lapid's party, the Yeshatid party, who see this. I mean, we're not the only ones who recognize Lapid's lack of action and you know him just going up and saying all these things about Netanyahu and not presenting any alternative. I mean... Ofer Shelah in the Yesha Tea Party has come out saying that wants to primary Yair Lapid in a Yesha Tea primary election. So he wants to compete for the first spot in the primary. So there are members of Lapid's party who are kind of getting sick of his BS. I mean, they see through it and they want to actually provide an alternative. And Ofer Shelah seems like someone who can bring an alternative to the table. So yes and no. But in order for us to put things in contest, Allow me to elaborate what's going on. So Ofer Shelach, just like Yair Lapid, he's an ex-media guy. He was a reporter uh, dealing with policies, you know, the IDF, and actually he's a big fan of the NBA and was a great sports uh, analyst. Him and Lapid goes away a long time, and he was actually one of the people behind the establishment of Yesh Atid. For years, he was considered to be Yair Lapid's wingman, and Unlike Lapid, he was always a leftist with clear vision and uh, very clear opinions and ideas about how things should be done. He disapproved a lot of the things Lapid did over the years, marking all the Arab cases, the Zuabis, you know, in 2013. What does that mean? There was a member of the Knesset called Hanin Zuabi. Mm-hmm. She was very noisy, a nationalist. I must say that she's a... Palestinian nationalist, member of the Knesset, she was on the Marmara uh, flotilla, and she was not going a good PR for the Israeli Arabs. And Yair Lapid named all of the MKs at that time the Zoabis, like putting all of them in the same bucket. And then Yair Lapid also was going against the Haredim. Now in Israel, if you want to form a coalition, you got to have at least one of the two. <laughs> <laughs> one, of, one of the two Haredi parties. Yes. And the Haredim are banning Lapid in specific, like in person. They actually said it out loud. They said it clearly to Gantz as well. We don't mind to collaborate with you. Not that I'm saying that they will, by the way, because Netanyahu is paying them a lot in order to keep them with him. But they told Gantz, we're going to collaborate with you, but we're not going to collaborate with Lapid. So Lapid made up a lot of enemies for himself. I must say that he learned from some of his mistakes. In the last election, he was willing to collaborate with the joint list, with Ayman Uda, who set some more moderate approach towards coexistence and the state of Israel. But still, it wasn't enough. Ofer Shelach was against the collaboration with Hosen Leumi, with Benny Gantz's party. He thought that, you know, Yeshatid should be leading the opposition and have a clear voice. And Yair Lapid, over the years, I would say he was working like Netanyahu. He's zigzagging, but in less talent, because Yair Lapid doesn't have a base. And Netanyahu has a base. So I would say that the left wing, the center left in Israel, 
has a serious problem of leadership for years now. But Yair Lapid is not setting up himself to be this kind of leader. First thing, because he denies the branding of being a lefty. He doesn't want to go near that. He thinks it's like a disease of its own, and it doesn't work. Most of the voters of Kaholavan and Yashatid are actually leftists. So do you think that Ofer Shalach challenging Lapid would provide a better alternative in opposition to Netanyahu than Lapid is doing right now? I mean, because Ofer Shalach is more left than Yair Lapid is, as you said. Do you think that he would resonate more with Yashatid voters or Kaholavan voters than Yair Lapid is doing right now? So I think that a couple of things will happen here now. First thing, Yashatid will have to speak in a clearer voice now. I doubt if it will be a more leftist voice than Yair Lapid's. You need to remember that Yashatid was formed for Yair Lapid and by Yair Lapid. So he's the sole leader over there. And he knows from experience, the experience, you know, his father was uh, Tommy Lapid, a former journalist who in the 90s gained reputation in uh, Israel's the most watched political show of that time called Popolitica. When he used to shout on everybody, like he was the loudest, <laughs> the loudest speaker in the room. And he joined Shinui, which was a really small party If to be exact, Shinui had one representative in the Knesset in 1998 when uh, Avraham Poraz, who was the member of the Knesset from Shinui, offered him to join and lead Shinui as a separate party of merits. And he was willing to bring Shinui to six mandates in 2001 and 15 mandates in 2003. And that was, you know, ballistic talking about in Israeli terms, not just in Israeli terms, but from a, such a small party to become the third largest party at that time, after the Likud and the Labour Party. But his fall off the cliff was really fast. In 2006, Shinui stopped from existing. Because mm-hmm. Tommy Lapid was fighting with everybody. Arik Sharon kicked him out of his coalition at one point and switched him with the Haredim. Mm-hmm. And Tommy Lapid did not keep good relationship within his own party. So they went against him. He lost. Actually, he didn't lose, but Avram Poraz lost in the elections. So Tommy Lapid resigned and Shinui banned from politics. So Yair Lapid doesn't want to end like yeah. his father. Let's, let's fast forward that to now. I mean, I think when we talk about how Lapid created Yeshatid and how it's catered specifically for him, it really is catered specifically for him because Yair Lapid and the Yeshatid party, the Yeshatid party does not have the kind of institutional framework right. that Shinui had. So that being said, it's not really possible to remove Lapid from right. the party because there's no institution within the party to have a primary yet. So Lapid really took his father's experience by example by making sure that his party would be catered specifically to him and that exactly. he could not be removed from it by not having the institutions to allow other members of the party to remove him. That is correct. And I doubt if Yair Lapid will be open to the idea of having a primaries in uh, Yashatid. Let's be honest, the idea of primaries in Israel didn't work that well. I mean, it brought up more corruption. If you're looking at what's happening with the Likud party these days, let's admit it that, you know, 20, 30 years ago, they had way better civil servants, the Likud, than what they have today. Today, it's more corrupted, it's more uh, vocalized. Some people will say that it's more of the public's voice. 
you know, they represent the people, but we expect a little more from our electives. And Yair Lapid doesn't want to end this way. He doesn't want to bring people that he doesn't want. He wants to make sure that he controls who are the representatives. And Yashatid, I must say, they have a great uh, team. Their uh, members of the Knesset are good, they're honest, they're true civil servants, and they really come to work. I think that in the long run, Ofer Shelach will not stay in Yashatid. Yashatid will stay with the Yair Lapid. Yair Lapid, I don't know if he'll be able to grow. I mean, you can never say never, but because if he's going to change the policy, just like Naftali Bennett, who wasn't elected, if you'll remember, Naftali Bennett a year ago did not make it in the elections. And now he's at possibly 20, 21 mandates. Exactly, to become the second largest party. Because he presented an alternative. He's, you know, yes. going back to what you were saying earlier, he's actually in the streets talking to people. Lapid is not willing to do that. Yes. Yeah, Lapid is using Twitter and Facebook to, once again, go head to head with Gantz and Bibi instead of saying what needs to be done. And it doesn't prove itself. So what I see in the long term that will happen, there will be a rise of a new party in the left wing. It's inevitable. Meretz is not rising. And there are a lot of people that are disappointed of Kahol Avan, of blue and white. They are unwilling to go to Lapid. But there is never a vacuum in politics. There is not a vacuum in life, if to be honest. But if you look at politics, they are disappointed at the moment. But if there's going to be a new as we call it, night on a white horse, the people will gather behind him. And I do believe you have good people on the left wing at the moment that are not gaining speed for now. But I think that there will be a collaboration between uh, Yair Golan, who was uh, the former uh, chief of staff deputy in the IDF, and uh, Ofer Shelach, that I doubt if he'll be able to stay in Yashatid for a long time. I think it's a matter of months along with other people that will join them. There are a lot of good people that can set up a new party on the ruins of the Labour Party, but they will have to set up an agenda, a clear agenda, set up an alternative. Otherwise, it will be just like Yeshatid and Kahol Avan, you know, and saying, okay, we're against Bibi because we are not Bibi doesn't really stick. Mm-hmm. That's what I see that's going to happen. I mean, without that happening, as of right now, the only alternative to Bibi is Naftali Bennett. So as much as some people dislike Bibi, I mean, the alternative is even further to the right of him. So we'll have to see what happens from here. Well, that is true because eventually Naftali Bennett is based on the settlers. But we also need to remember the 20 men that's now in the polls doesn't mean that, you know, when they will go to elections, and I believe that it's going to be in December, that uh, <laughs> the Knesset will ban from operating again, because Netanyahu will figure out how to fight over the budget. And I got to tell you that the officials in the Department of Finance are saying that they are not dealing with the 2021 <laughs> budget, which is amazing. It's amazing that, you know, everything is based on Netanyahu's aspirations and the improvisation, and there is a lack of policy. But I truly believe that Bennett will not stay at 20 mandates, even though it shows in the polls that people trust him more. I don't think it will be enough for him to replace Netanyahu. And if we'll go to another election, I do believe that Netanyahu will be able to establish a right-wing Haredim coalition without guns. But, you know, times will tell because you can't tell what's going to happen if another party will rise. 
maybe you can form something out of that because eventually the system in Israel, and that's something that we need to remember, it's not a matter of who is the largest party. It's who has 61 members of the Knesset to recommend him to establish the government. Mm-hmm. That's what happened with Netanyahu in the last three elections, that he was unable to form a coalition with 61 members of the Knesset because Lieberman would refuse to recommend him. So you can't tell what's going to happen. But I doubt if Naftali Bennett, even with 20 mandates, will be able to challenge Netanyahu and talk to the people, you know, to get uh, Gantz and Yashatid to collaborate with him that he will be the prime minister because they despise him. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Time will tell, as you say. Yeah. Time will tell. Yeah. We definitely live in uh, interesting times, uh, but sometimes it's really sad, you know, when you look at the startup nation that we like to call, it looks like a third world at the moment, dealing with the pandemic, seriously. So let's hope for better days. And I want to thank you for joining me today, Jeff. Thanks for having me, Kobe. Always a pleasure to have you here. And looking forward to record with you again. Likewise. And thank you all for uh, listening to Balagan. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and wanted to thank you for joining me. If you like my podcast, feel free to rank it and share it with others. I also invite you to subscribe to my podcast so you will get updates when a new episode is on the air. And last but not least, I invite you to check my website, Balagan, www.balagan.ltd, for more content about Israel's history and politics. Bye for now, and have a great day.